0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning. What a beautiful weekend to celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow. Uh, We are so grateful for all those who have died and sacrificed their lives so that we could be free to do what we're doing this morning. Uh, to gather to worship. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have it on the screen as well that you can follow along. But, Oh, But God is uh, the title of the sermon this morning. And again, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of power of the air. The spirit now working in the disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Oh, but God, this is a very familiar passage. Uh, for many of us, it, it may be an evangelistic passage that we use to share our faith. In fact, many would say that Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 uh, was what spurned the, re- the reformation of, of our faith in which we Uh, instead of believing that our salvation was something that we did ourselves, that we came to understand fully, that it is by grace alone. It is not something that can be earned. It is something that must be believed and received. And so when I think, though, about this passage, you know what it actually reminds me of? It reminds me of our culture and the fascination that we have had in our culture with zombies. Anybody here a zombie fan? Uh, anybody watched The Walking Dead or any uh, The Walking Dead was a show that, that ran from two thousand and ten to two thousand and twenty two um, just to preface i 'm not a zombie fan i 've not really watched any of those shows but but I just thought it was interesting that it became such a crave in our such a fad in our culture, especially like uh, within cities and towns you would have zombie walks right and people would dress up as zombies and walk through town and try to scare people and do Different things, and there's nothing wrong with with any of that or whatever, but it is a reflection. In fact, most stories that come from our culture actually are just derived or distorted from the story that we are living. So I think that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation presents the true story of mankind, the true story of the world, the true story of, of everything, the true story of Jesus. And we just kind of distort from that story. So if you ever watched a movie that just had a hero that just seemed unlikely, and then they appear to die, and then all of a sudden they're not dead, and they save the day, that's the Bible, right? That's the gospel, right? I just described almost all Disney movies and all DreamWorks movies, but that's the gospel. They just distort it, or they they don't picture it fully, right? Well, again, the idea of zombies is that there are dead people walking around who are enslaved. They have one purpose. What is the one purpose of a zombie? to feed. right? Why? Because they're self-centered. They, they can't think of anything else. But they're literally dead people walking around. That's what Paul says we are. Paul says that is not just a, uh, a creative uh, reality. That is actually the spiritual reality of what the Bible describes us as we are. We were dead in our sins, walking around in our trespasses, enslaved to one thing, our own sinful and selfish desires. Now, I have a quote here from my favorite author, Tim Keller. And he says something like this. This is where we kind of distort it both ways. He says, the gospel says, you are simultaneously more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. Sometimes we think that we're okay. But the gospel makes it very clear. We're more sinful and more flawed than we could ever dare believe. And yet... You're more loved and accepted than you ever dared hoped. So we're more sinful and yet we're more loved than we ever realized. That is the heart of what the gospel message is. So Paul is reminding us of who we once were in order to demonstrate how powerful it is the fact that God has raised his son, Jesus, from The dead, right? Because Jesus was dead, but God raised him from the grave, you also who were dead, but if you believe in Jesus, you also are raised from the grave and exalted in Christ. And so we just need to always remind ourselves of these gospel truths so that we can ever be kindled by the love of God in order to walk in the good works that he has made for us. So I'm going to do something really simple for you this morning. I'm going to give you all three points all at once, right? Are you ready? And then we'll walk through them slowly, right? What we are saved from, that's what we want to look at first. What we are saved from, what we are saved through, and what we are saved for. What we are saved from, what we are saved through, and what we are saved Because again, what we have talked about is Paul makes it very clear. You're not just saved from sin to nothing. No, you're saved from sin to Jesus. You're literally, your life changes from one to the other. There is no middle ground. You're either basically following after yourself and following after, we could say, Satan, as Paul will say here, or you're following after someone else. And that's what Christianity is. It's identifying that we follow Jesus now. We are now saints with him. So, the first point, what we are saved from. Again, he starts off in verse one, and you were dead. Again, he's coming off, uh, declaring the power of the resurrection. Remember, he, in, in chapter one, he beautifully displays our salvation, right? That we have received every blessing that we possibly can have in Jesus, in the fact that God chose us to be adopted as sons and daughters, that. Christ redeemed us from our sin and that the Holy Spirit sealed us in our faith. And then he prays that we would know this truth so that in that knowing it, we would walk then in our true identity as we are. He's, he's doing all of this theology up front in these first few verses because he's going to get to some imperatives and chapters 4 and chapters 5 and chapter 6, some imperatives that if you do not have sound theology, you know what's going to happen? You're going to to ignore them. He's going to say some imperatives. He's going to tell us what to do, and there's some radical things for us to do, and we won't do them if we don't firmly see who we are in Jesus and what he has done for us. He says, and you were dead. Without Jesus, we are dead. We are disobedient. We are doomed. He says you're dead. He doesn't say, when we, when we think about bad people in our culture, we kind of think about treading water, right? Like, we're drowning, right? That's what parenting is like, right? You ever ever want to know what parenting is like? It's like you're drowning and someone hands you a baby, right? <laughs> That's what parenting is like. But it's, so imagine treading water, and like, we're like, well, maybe, maybe I'll make it, right? Maybe I'll make it. I'm treading water. Maybe I'll make it. No, no, no. That's not how the Bible describes us. The Bible says we're dead in our sins. We're like 20,000 leagues under the sea dead. We're not trying to tread water. We're not just barely under the surface of the water. We are dead. And what are we dead in? Our trespasses and our sins. A trespass is a false step. It's crossing a boundary. It's basically meaning we have broken God's law. He said very clearly, you should not lie. And guess what we do? We lie. Right? He said, you shouldn't steal. And guess what we do? We steal. He says, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. We have millions of gods before him. Literally, your heart is a factory. Your heart is a factory of idols, of little gods that you try to find joy and satisfaction in that only God himself can provide. We have broken God's law. In fact, that's what the word sin means. It means to miss the mark. You're dead in your trespasses and your sins. It means to miss the mark. Now, we, again, we, we tend to associate sins with things that we actually do, but actually what Paul's going to get at here in this chapter is not just it's the things that you do on the outside, it's who your nature is on the inside. The biggest problem we have is that we are under sin. In fact, Romans chapter 3 talks about that. Paul says in Romans 3, 9, we are all under sin. We know the famous verse, Romans 3, 23, for all have sins, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. So the Bible is very clear that we are dead. That we are separated from God. In fact, I have a passage here from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. It says, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Literally, the Bible says we are separated from God. And because we are separated from God, we are dead. I love all the the spring um, blooms and blossoms and trees and everything that's going on. It's great for your allergies, by the way. Um, But guess what happens if you're to go to that pretty flower bush and cut off that flower and then take it to someone and give it to them? What happens? It dies. Why does it die? It's beautiful, right? It looks great. It looks healthy. Ah, but it's separated from, basically, its life source, right? We've been separated from our life source. We're separated from God because we sin, because of our sin. And it's within our nature to sin. And so because of that, we are are dead. We are dead in our sin. But we're also disobedient. Notice what he says there in verse 2 to verse 3. He says, So you're dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to... To the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh, our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And so we're enslaved. He talks about according to or the fact that you follow after, right? Which means that you're actually controlled by Something See, unbelievers, if you do not have Jesus and the Holy Spirit within you, you are literally controlled by your sinful desires, your sin nature that is within you. So it's interesting here, he's going to mention three things that we're enslaved to. He mentions that we're enslaved to uh, the ways of this world, right? the spirit of this age, which is really just the habits, the, the preferences, the attitudes, the actions that inform us from the world instead of God's word. Right? The, the world affects us. We were created to be discipled, and the world is an excellent disciple lure at making disciples. But he doesn't give a whole lot of attention to that. Right, In fact, he doesn't even give a whole lot of attention to the next one. He says you are enslaved to the devil, essentially. That's who the prince of the power of this air is. He says that uh, we are enslaved to the ruler of this age. The devil. The devil. What he does is he veils the gospel truth to us, so that we don't actually receive the beauty and the necessity of what it is. Instead, he deceives us, right? So, look at Second Corinthians four, verse four. I think I have this as a slide. It's Second uh, Corinthians four, four, it says, "In their case, the god of this age—that's Satan." has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what Satan does. He deceives us, right? So we're deceived, and and what happens is he literally is blinding us to the gospel. Now, this is true for unbelievers, but it's also true for believers, right? He still tries to veil your eyes to the gospel truth so that you don't walk in it. So that you don't grow in it. So that you don't trust it more. So that it doesn't transform your life. But to unbelievers, he just basically veils the gospel so that they won't see the beauty of it. But mostly he spends time talking about our flesh. We are enslaved to our sinful nature. And when he's talking about our flesh, there's really, again, our self-centered human nature. It's what drives us. It's what actually masters us. Us. So we are dead and slaves to sin because our human heart is profoundly self-centered, right? Now this can reveal itself in what the world would call good things, right? In fact, this can produce um, morality. You can be self-centered and become a moral person, but still be self-centered. You can a- actually be a religious person and still be self-centered, So both of those things can be used for yourself. In fact, many people even use God for their own sake and try to manipulate Him, which is why when difficulties and trials come in our lives, we walk away. Why? Because we weren't really worshiping God. What we were worshiping is our own image of God, who we wanted Him to be, who we could manipulate to get the things that we want. And when we don't get those, we walk away. That's not true faith, nor is it how God presents Himself. So we use all things, even God, for our own sake. What's in it for me? What will make me happy? And that self-centeredness drives us. He even talks about your desires and cravings. Uh, These are uh, nothing more than just being, (laughs) there's nothing more desirable or craving or addictive than your own ego and being self-centered. But isn't it amazing? It's never enough. Self-centered people are are never satisfied. It's never enough. It will always leave you wanting more. Remember, this is what we are saved from. We don't have to continue walking in this light. So he says that uh, there at the the end of chapter, or verse 3, he says, Again, we too all previously... Previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. Now, when we think of wrath, we, we tend to think of it from our own sinful, distorted view. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. We don't even get upset by some sins, right? Like, there's some sins we're like, yeah, that's, no, nah, no. Nah. That's fine. But then other sins we, we blow up on, right? It's an, an uneven, unfair, really, wrath that we have in ourselves. So when we hear that God has wrath, we assume it's an incomplete or broken wrath like ours. But it's not. It's a perfect wrath, right? Um, this wrath is based on the fact that God is holy. And the, the fact that God is holy also means that God is loving. And the fact that God is holy and loving means he's also just. And so he cannot, therefore, be in the presence of sin, nor allow sin. And so, therefore, he pours out his wrath. Now, you might say, well, isn't that the God of the Old Testament? The God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath. Well, the God of the New Testament pours out all of his wrath on his Son. So the Bible is consistent from Genesis to Revelation on God's wrath. He says that you are children of wrath, right? And I want us to look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So not only are we dead in our sins, but we're by nature children of wrath. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. He says, you your sons, you're disobedient, right? Really, that's translated, you're sons of the disobedient one. And what happens is uh, Genesis 3 tells us the story of how sin sin entered into the world, right? You have Adam and Eve who are created in Genesis 1 and 2 perfectly in the image of God. Uh, God in Genesis chapter 2 creates the garden where his presence is uniquely in the world. And he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he gives them everything they need. He says, you can eat from everything that exists in this garden including the tree of life that's in the garden. And he says, and here's one rule. There is, there is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're not to eat from that tree. And Genesis 3, the serpent comes in, and everything about God's creation in Genesis 1 and 2 unravels. Right? God created Adam and Eve to rule and have dominion over the world. Here you have the, the serpent coming in and speaking to Eve. And really, creation is reversed. But we know the story, right? So Adam and Eve... Uh, or Eve listens to, to Satan, she she takes the fruit, she eats of it, and she gives it to her husband who's standing right there, right? They both sin, their eyes are opened. What do they do? They run, they hide. We get our first mention of fashion in the Bible, right in Genesis chapter three, they sow leaves. It's not sufficient. they still feel uncovered, right? But God comes to them and when he comes to them, he gives them a promise, even though they're dead now, spiritually, because their eyes have been opened. He says in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So that verse, Genesis 3.15, really becomes the thesis statement that the rest of the Bible then is based out of. And you even see that. that but he says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the, the, the serpent. But he says but there's going to be this strife and this enmity between them. And we see that in Genesis chapter 4. So Genesis chapter 4, we have Adam and Eve. Actually, I've been calling her Eve up until that point. She was woman. She's not named Eve until after the fall. And what does Eve mean? It means mother of the living. So Adam hears, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. They eat, they die. God comes and gives him this promise of a seed who will come, and then he names his wife Eve, mother of the living. In other words, Adam has faith in God's word. So, Adam has faith in God's word. He believes. God removes them from the garden, clothes them then in animal skin. The first sacrifice and atonement is made. And then in Genesis chapter 4, we get the story of Cain and Abel. And really what's going on there is Moses, who authored Genesis, is showing us, look, this is what it looks like to be seed of the woman or seed of the serpent. Abel makes a right sacrifice to the Lord, pleasing to the Lord. Cain doesn't. And then Cain gets upset and what does he do? He murders Abel. In fact, later, the New Testament authors look back to that event and say, and say well, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, You're, you guys are murderers like your father. And your father was a murderer from the beginning. Well, the first murder we get is Cain, right? Later on, 1 John it talks about Don't act like Cain, right, who chose to follow the way of the devil. In other words, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, Cain chooses willfully to follow after the seed of the serpent. And that's how all mankind is, unless God intervenes and shows us his grace. So therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through that sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. And so God's wrath then is this divine response to evil. It's his settled refusal not to compromise with evil. It's his holiness, which never allows sin to completely thrive. So what are we saved from? We are saved from this life. We are saved from being enslaved to sin. Now, what are we saved through? Look at verses 4 to 7. This is the famous verse where he says, but God, right? You were dead in your sins. You were enslaved to the ways of the world. You were enslaved to to the devil. You're enslaved to your own self-centered desires, but God, right? I'm going to figure this out eventually. My ears are just so big, it just keeps falling off. (laughs) But God, who is rich in mercy. Notice all the ways it describes God in this passage. God is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is a God who is merciful, who is full of grace, who loves us, and who is kind. You might ask, why does God save at all? Because he is kind. So God raises us up with Christ. He seats us with him on the throne. In the ancient Near East, if you were a hero in battle, if you did amazing things, when you got back home, the king would would reward you by allowing you to sit with him on his throne, right? Because you had conquered and battled. Uh, And so the most honorable seat, though, is not next to a worldly king, right? The most honorable seat in the universe is being seated next to the living God, which is where Paul says we are in Jesus. Paul says that is your true reality. If you believe the gospel and you trust Christ for salvation, you are seated with him in the heavenlies. That is your true identity. Not what you can do, not what you have done, not what you will do. Your true identity is that you are seated with Christ next to the Father. And so when you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven completely. You are treated now as if Jesus' works on that he has done are now your own, and God treats you and rejoices over you as he does with his son. That should give you great freedom and great joy that God is pleased with you this morning if you are in Jesus. Now, what's how exactly does that work? Again, the moment you believe all of this thing, all of this happens. So uh, again, I, I pulled out my, my phone for, for various different reasons, but one of the amazing things about technology nowadays is if you buy a new iPhone and you have an old iPhone, you no longer have to like, try to like, do all of your stuff over again, do you? Right? Like You don't have to go back in and put in all your contacts and, and, and if you have been doing that, I'm, I'm going to bless you this morning. Right? <laughs> in fact, now all you have to do is if you bring that old device near a new device that hasn't been activated, the new device will just say, do you want me to... Transfer all of your files from one device to another, and then you just say yes, and it happens. And then, like in a few minutes, you look down at your new phone, and it's exactly like your old phone was. Everything has been transferred over, right? Well, that's what I'm getting at when I'm saying, Look, everything about Jesus in his righteousness and his position has been transferred over to you when you believe. And Paul is encouraging us to see that so that we will walk in that reality. How, how can all of that be? How can it be that God loves me like he loves Jesus? How can it be that he sees me like he sees Jesus? How can it be that he counts his righteousness toward me as my righteousness now? Because he is a kind God. And his kindness, what that means that God is kind. It means that he is willing to pay the price. Kindness means it's a costly action. It's not just saying I love you, but showing you that I love you by sending my one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin. So what we looked at before in verses one to three, that, that the essence of our sin is putting ourselves where only God can be. The essence of the gospel is Jesus has put himself where we deserve to be. He took God's wrath on our. He took God's wrath on our behalf. He went to the seat that we deserve, in order that we can now sit with Him. And so John Stott sums it up this way: He says, "The essence of sin is substituting ourselves for God. The essence of sin is substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting Himself." us. Jesus left the comfort of his heavenly father in order to die for sinners. He said, my life for yours. And this is the only way to be free from self-centeredness is by having a new life now in Jesus. That's why Jesus says uh, in the gospels, what does he say? He says, you must be what? Born again, right? You were dead. You must be born again. Not physically, but spiritually. And when you're born spiritually, then now you have this great new life. And so that's what the last thing we want to see. What are we saved then for? We've looked at what we are saved from. Now we've looked at how we have been saved, right? Through the mercy and grace and riches of Christ. Now what are we saved for? Let's look at verses 8 to 9. Again, many of you can quote these verses. For you are saved by grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. He says, by grace you have been saved. Literally, everything in life is a gift from God. Even faith is a gift from God. But what he means there is when you when you accept that grace through faith, it means to you rest and you trust in something that's bigger than you. That's what putting your faith in Jesus is like. It's trusting something bigger than you, right? But even that faith is a gift. Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-nine, I think I have this verse as uh, a verse on the screen for you. Says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. In other words, faith has been granted as a gift. Even your faith is a gift. Does that make us robots? No. The Bible is clear that we're responsible. Even in Ephesians 1, we saw we are responsible. God is sovereign, man is responsible. Both truths and realities exist in the Bible without fail. But even your faith is a gift. Why is our faith a gift? He says, so that no one may boast. So boasting is giving yourself confidence to face something, something great, right? It's giving yourself confidence to face something great. But Paul says, as believers, we no longer boast in ourselves. And yet we know everyone boasts. We all boast in something. We all rest in something. We all trust and worship something. We all want something to make ourselves proud, to give ourselves confidence, something that gives us value, worth, and strength. But Paul says you no longer boast in those things. Now you only boast in Jesus. So in my office, I have um, a medieval sword. I got it while I was in the Philippines, which I know makes complete sense to you, right? I was just traveling through villages and came upon a village that they made medieval swords. I mean, it was just like this, I say factory, but when I say factory, you're going to think of like big building, huts, hut factory. Um, And I was just amazed walking around looking at all the different swords. And this particular sword that I have in my office is actually, it, it represents Braveheart, right? It's the sword that whoever, I can't remember the main character is, forgive me. I uh, just lost my man card there. Uh, but yeah, uh, Mel Gibson, I know, is the, the, the actor, but I don't remember his name in the, the story. William Wallace, there you go. That's a name easy to forget. No, just kidding. Um, but yeah, but he has this sword. He throws it at one point in the movie, it lands on the ground. And just that, So that's in my office, right? And then in, and in, again, the ancient Near East times and, and throughout the medieval times, um, people would boast about things like that, right? They would boast about chariots. And Swords and kings they weren't just looking at them. They were looking to them to save them, right? That was the, they were putting their hope in them, right? Well, I have a bigger sword So I have a greater chance to kill people, right? That's what they were putting their hope in They were not just looking to them. They were looking um, They were just looking at them. They were looking to them to be their functional savior, but in the same way we do that we look to things In order to give us identity worth, value, direction, purpose. So for some of us, it's, it's a career. It's our income. It's our grades. It's our intellect, our IQ scores. For some, it's heritage, family. Some, for some, it's children. For some, it's religion. And you know what? It's just all exhausting because you're looking to those things to do what they can't do. Now, all those things are good things, but none of those things are ultimate things. And when we look to those things to be our functional saviors, they fail us. And so you never feel like you're good enough if you're looking at something to give you that worth and identity, and it's just exhausting. You exhaust yourselves. You scramble to find identity and self-worth. It's just all exhausting. And, and what Paul is saying is you have been saved for... This life of boasting in Jesus. A life free from all of the exhaust of trying to boast in something else. It's a grace-filled life. So what does it then look like? Well, here's just three quick examples. Three quick examples of what it looks like to live a grace-filled life. One, I'm no longer angry. Instead, I'm content. This is what I mean by that. I understand everything I have as a gift. And if the Bible tells me that, then I need to believe that. So no matter how life goes, I'm able to be content. But if you're looking to something to boast in, if you're looking to something to put your identity and trust in and rest in, then you won't be content if your life doesn't go well. And instead, what will, what will happen is you will get angry and grumpy. And you're, it's just because you're never content. Life's never fair. And honestly, if, if you are that person, you know you're exhausted. And if you know that person, you're exhausted because of them, right? Instead, you're content. That's what the gospel life frees us to be, content in all things. And not, not be angry about everything. It also means we live a life of acceptance instead of judgment. So there's nothing wrong with, with working hard. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with building a company and, and having a career. But again, if they become your identity, if that's what you put your, your, your trust in and how you define your worth, if that's what you then boast, in, then what you will do is you will start to judge and have disdain for anyone who's not like you. You'll learn to judge other cultures because they're not like you. Other political views. You'll even judge people who are lazy, maybe even overweight. You'll, you'll begin to look at them through the eyes of your own boasting instead of through the eyes of the Bible. How does the Bible present everyone? Again, Romans chapter 3. All have sinned. Now, have some sin worse than others? Yes, but all have sinned. All have fallen short, including yourself. All are in need of grace including yourself. The Bible presents humanity as it really is. So most people then, again, we, we, we don't let our judgments out often, right? We, we are, we're good about hiding them, right? But in our mind, we know that they happen. If you're regu- regularly judging people, usually you're a miserable person. But if you're a sinner saved by grace, then you understand that you want this grace to be had by all people, that you would want everyone to know Jesus and have the forgiveness of sins that he presents. So again, the Bible describes everyone the same. We're all dead. And grace leads us to see people how the Bible defines them. Again, the Bible says we're all created in God's image, even though we're sinful and have distorted that image, and that we all have dignity and worth and value because we are created in the image of God. And God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to redeem that image by dying on the cross. So again, as image bearers of the living God, who were dead because they rejected the living God, but now have chosen the Savior, we're to walk in that light. And instead of, again, being angry, we're to be content. Instead of being judgmental, we're we're to have acceptance of people. Instead of being bitter, we're to be people of forgiveness, Right? A sinner saved by grace can forgive. Why? Because they have been forgiven. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. The only way to be bitter is to stay angry and to believe that you are better than the other person. And what is that just revealing? That's revealing pride, which is what? The characteristic of the devil, right? Which is the characteristic of self-centeredness. But a sinner saved by grace can forgive. They can accept. They can be content because they aren't always wrestling with the fact of whether or not they're trying to get approval out there. They know they have approval in Jesus. Their identity is in Jesus. And so, they're not wrestling at night because they believe they've been wrong. They're not, not going to bed at night because they're, they're, they're thinking of someone out there who just needs justice. No, they, they are trusting in the finished work of Jesus, and they are boasting in that. And so the only boasting that will fix our incorrect boasting is boasting in Jesus and in His finished work on the cross. It's what Paul tells the Colossians in Colossians Chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. It says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. When I see that Jesus is my life, I don't need something else to be my life. Christ is my life. And so, again, the, the soldiers who would come home from these battles... Right? They, would, they would boast about their king or they would boast about uh, who was the greatest warrior. They would boast about who had the best sword or the best spear or the, or the best arrows. Right? No, we have a great king in Jesus who came and took the spear that we deserved. Who bore our sins on the cross that we deserved. And by his wounds we are healed. Look to the cross and stop boasting about yourself. Right? So what, what's the big idea this morning? It's just real simple. You are saved by grace. Are you walking in that? Paul says, look, you are created for good works to walk in. Right. In fact, the workmanship, you are God's workmanship. Literally, that word it means poem. You are God's poem that he has created to put on display to the world. But yet, are we trusting in him and walking in those works? Good works that he has created created for us. We were dead in sin, but now we are alive in Jesus. We were in bondage to this world, but now we're raised with Christ. We were in bondage to the devil, but now we reign with Jesus. We were walking in sin, now we're called to walk in good lights. We were destined for wrath, now we are destined for riches. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Have you trusted him today? All things are through grace and mercy that God has demonstrated through Jesus. If you're you're here today and you haven't trusted him, that's what Paul is just compelling you to do, right? He's saying if you have trusted in Jesus, walk in those good works that he has created for you. Find your identity in him, and as you grow to love him more, you will do that. But if you don't know him, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can ask and just say something real simple, right? Jesus, I believe, forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this passage. May it root deeply in our hearts what it means to have our identity and boasting in Christ alone. Lord, lead us to repentance where we would turn from just things that don't satisfy, things that aren't good, things that we have made ultimate that aren't you, that we would we would see that Jesus is better, that he is more worthy of our life. God, as you gave us that gift of faith to believe in you, give us the grace and the faith to grow in you, to grow and to walk in the works that you have created for us to do. Thank you that in Jesus we are a new creation. We pray this in his name.